This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 408 with Casey McGuire Davidson. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 408. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Casey McGuire Davidson is a certified life coach, the founder of Hello Someday Coaching, and the creator of The Sober Girl's Guide to Quit Drinking, 30 Tips to Help You Get Through Your First 30 Days. She works with busy, successful women who want to reevaluate their relationship with alcohol, quit drinking, and create lives they love without their nightly glass or bottle of wine. She's also a wife, a shameless mom, a practical dreamer, a recovering corporate ladder climber, retired people pleaser and an ex-red wine drinker who's been known to crawl into bed at 9 p.m. and whisper, don't worry, you're still a badass to herself. She sounds like my kind of gal. <laughs> Anyone who likes to go to bed at 9 p.m. is my people. Casey and I met recently when we were at an event together and she approached me as a fan of the Shameless Mom Academy and I was so honored. We immediately hit it off and the second that she told me that she works with moms who are reevaluating their relationship with alcohol, I knew I wanted her to come on the show. And I actually waited a few, as we were talking, I was like, I want her to come on the show, but I don't want to freak her out immediately. So I waited for a while and we sat with a group of people and had lunch together. And then I was like, um, so if you want to come on the show someday, I'd be up for that. And she was very excited. 
So I believe that so many moms have a silent struggle with alcohol, and I think it's one of the most under-talked about issues of motherhood, and this is not okay. So I'm so, so delighted, truly honored to have Casey here to have a conversation about what alcohol use looked like for her, what alcohol overuse looked like for her, how she decided to attempt sobriety, and I think you're going to learn a lot, and how she now is in a place where she recognizes that her sober life is more fun than her life before, and she really never thought she could get there. So listen in to hear Casey share how she relied on wine to manage her emotional and mental health, what pushed her to attempt 100 days of sobriety, which is now turned into years of sobriety, what red wine represented for her and her fear of giving up something she loved so much, how to give up viewing alcohol as a positive, powerful choice instead of a sad consequence, the best question to ask yourself if you're thinking about giving up drinking and the pros and cons of different sobriety programs and why she believes that some are better than others specifically for women. I thought this was really, really interesting and insightful and so important because I think there's a lot of us who think there's like only one way to go about giving up alcohol. I think there's not a lot of ways that are super commonly publicly spoken about. There's like a couple options that are, and then like, we don't know what else is out there. And so Casey really shed some light on how many options are out there that are really awesome specifically for women and just designed with a little bit more of an edge on them that like appeals to what a woman might need when making a big life change. So I learned so much from Casey. I'm so inspired by her, by what she's doing to help other women give up alcohol, or even just attempt cutting back alcohol and reevaluating their relationship. So I'm very excited and truly honored to be welcoming Casey McGuire Davidson to the Shameless Mom Academy. Casey, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here as well. I have to tell our guests how we met. So we met at Amy Porterfield's event, The Entrepreneur Experience, a few months ago, which was a fabulous event. And you saw me, if I recall correctly, you saw me when I was sitting down to eat lunch, I believe, and introduced yourself. And then we ended up getting to talk through lunch and it was a match made in heaven. Yeah. And I was actually kind of a little bit starstruck because I remember vividly folding laundry in my bedroom like a year and a half ago. And I found this Shameless Mom podcast and heard that you were from the Seattle area and I'm from the Seattle area as well. So when you sat down at lunch and introduced yourself and told me what you did, I was like, I know you, (laughs) which was pretty cool. So fun. And I love it when people tell me that Like I've had people come up to me in the grocery store and people often are kind of sheepish. I'm like, no, like this is the coolest thing in the world to me that people, there's people out there who have me in their ear and then also can see me at Trader Joe's. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I was very excited when you introduced yourself. So we got to talking that day and we were talking about the different ways that we work with women and support women. And you started talking about your own story about alcohol and how you support women in alcohol and mom wine culture and all these things. And I pretty quickly was like, uh, so do you want to come on the podcast by chance? <laughs> and to which you said yes. So thank you for saying yes. I'm very, oh, very excited exciting. to have you here. So with all that said, tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm most excited about in life right now is a big professional change in my life. So I just left the corporate world after 20 years in digital marketing to work full time 
as a life coach and I work with busy women who have decided that drinking isn't working in their lives anymore and they want to figure out how to build a life they really love without alcohol. So, you know, I'm excited to leave the corporate world. I know so many of your listeners can relate to how exciting it is to go in full time on a project they're really passionate about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your story. You're a wife and a mom and you did spend these 20 years in the corporate world. And for many years, you were known for being the red wine girl. It was part of your identity. And (laughs) then you made a decision to quit drinking. And I think this is so interesting because I think many people listening either are the red wine girl themselves or they know the red wine girl um, in their life. And I want to hear your story and what has transpired and what led to this big shift and transition. Yeah, you're completely right. And I know I mentioned it when we met for many years, drinking was just a huge part of my life. Um, Had been since I went to college. I socialized with wine. I celebrated. I commiserated. I connected with people. And when I spent all the years climbing the corporate ladder and getting married and having kids and building a home, I was holding on really tightly to my love of red wine. It was how I relaxed and how I managed stress and how I transitioned from work to home, especially after I have had kids. And as so many of the moms who listen to your podcast know, your free time gets really, really small after you have kids. Often, you know, before I had kids, I took guitar lessons and I went to yoga and took long walks. And suddenly I was rushing home from work to pick up, you know, my six-year-old or six-month-old at daycare at the end of the day. And drinking wine at night and over dinner was sort of my treat. And what I kind of had, you know, even in between naps and all that kind of stuff. So what started with a few glasses of wine a few nights a week grew pretty slowly over 10 years to an unhealthy habit that was really hard to quit. I'd come home from work and I'd open a bottle of wine and I'd drink some while cooking dinner and eating dinner and doing the dishes and when my kids were older, doing homework. And then after they went to bed, I'd sit down and finish the bottle while watching TV or while working at night and checking emails. And I did that every night. And I thought that wine would help me relax and enjoy my life and connect with my husband kind of over stuff that isn't the schedule for the next day. But yeah, but increasingly I felt awful. I was feeling lost. I was feeling anxious. I kind of felt hopeless. I was less confident. I was less optimistic than I used to be. I mean, I've always been this driven, proactive, social person. And, you know, as I went on, I just kind of felt terrible in the mornings. I had headaches a lot. I was definitely at work getting more fearful and more negative and just kind of resentful and defensive, even though my life was pretty great. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about, it sounds like you were starting to get this inkling of like, maybe this is a problem, but had you, were you prior to starting to feel this way, 
had you for a long time just been feeling like it's a bottle of wine a night, but it's fine. Like, was there a part of you that felt like this is just totally fine and like it didn't feel problematic? Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, I was honestly like I pretty much drink every night since college and I would try to take breaks. I mean, but it was just normal, right? Yeah. Either I was having some wine with dinner or I was having drinks out with girlfriends or a date night. Like it was just, I drank every day and I know not everyone does that, but I actually know a ton of women who do that. I mean, it just becomes, you know, when I was having dinner, of course I had an adult beverage in my mind. It was what adults do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was growing up, my parents weren't huge drinkers, but they certainly had a bottle of wine on the table every night. Mm -hmm. And so that was my, my experience. It seemed very normal to you. It seemed very normal. And when you're a drinker, you surround yourself with other drinkers. So I was absolutely the mom who had mimosas at my four-year-old's birthday party and, you know, wanted to have play dates with adult beverages. Um, it was just kind of a huge part of my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned I tried to take breaks, right? Because, you know, after two kids, I was trying to lose weight and trying to get in shape and, you know, did some triathlons. And so I try to limit my wine intake and made all these rules, right? I would mm-hmm. only have two glasses of wine a night, or I would only drink three times a week, or I would only drink when I was out, which basically meant I decided to go out every night with my kids even. Oh my gosh. You know, that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> to go out every night. But I mean, all of this is a lot of work. It's like mental gymnastics, constantly this negotiation, right? Yeah. And I even like joined a running club at night. So like mm. I wouldn't drink. And then I'd come home and pour myself a glass of wine at 830 at night. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, something has to change. Mm -hmm. Because moderating a I wasn't doing it very well. And B, it was taking up a huge part of my life thinking about drinking, deciding whether or not to drink and just that constant failing to do what I said I was going to do wasn't what I was used to in my life. Like I could always achieve anything that I committed to Mm -hmm. and put you know, my mind and my heart behind and, and drinking just wasn't, it was one thing that I couldn't seem to get a handle on. Yeah. Did your husband think it was problematic at all? Or did you? Well, we've been together. We met when we were 22 in our first job out of college. So he'd known me my whole adult life. So he knew, you know, I always say you knew what you were getting into. Mm -hmm. But he occasionally, like honestly, at, on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock at night when I'd like open a second bottle because I wanted one more glass, he would just be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like really? But I don't know. Like he, he never wasn't pati- He wasn't bothered it. by it. No, he was sort of used to like, yeah. uh, he just was like, oh, you're a happy, you know, a happy person when you drink. I always had a smile on my face. But, you know, it was sort of part of our relationship mm, that yeah. he would drive home from every date night. Mm. And in the morning, sometimes he'd be like, whoa, how are you feeling this morning? And I just like, great, feel great. And I felt like complete trash. Oh, my gosh, that's so interesting. It's so interesting how our partners 
like what they see, how they manage what they see, if they decide to say something. Because I've also heard of other people's partners being like drawing a line in the sand and being like, if you want to do this, like, I don't want to be involved. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't the case for me yeah. at all, which, but I didn't realize until I t- honestly didn't talk to him about everything that was going on in my head mm-hmm. when I was quitting. I, honestly only told him that I was not going to drink for a hundred days and that this was a health kick and I was doing it. Meanwhile, I'd hired a coach to work with me on quitting drinking and was emailing her every single day, but I didn't tell him. Interesting. And, you know, first of all, he never thought I'd do it because I'd never done it before. I mean, I'd been like, I'm not drinking, I'm going to lose weight. And, you know, four days later, I'd be like, let's not talk about this. (laughs) Yeah. But after six months or even somewhere in between 100 days and six months, I talked to him about it and he had no idea how many years I had been thinking about this, how much I'd been thinking how about it had this. consumed you. Yes. He had no idea. And I was like, either you're really unobservant or, you know, God bless him. Yeah. You know, you don't realize how much is in your head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Let's go back to before the 100 days. What made you decide to attempt this 100 days of not drinking that then turned into much longer? But what was there like an event? Was it a buildup of just a lot of little things? Yeah, there was no huge event. 
I went to a work conference in Arizona and um, it was one I'd been to before this beautiful resort. I was absolutely like on my, I'm going to not drink because I want to get in shape, but Mm. not this trip. And I ended up drinking, you know, it was two glasses of wine at dinner. And then we went to the socializing event and I ended up, I don't even know what I drank, like five glasses because I was being super bubbly and social and there were free drinks. And I woke up the next morning feeling terrible, you know, couldn't believe that I was going to nine hours of work meetings for oh, my yeah. company. And there was this, I don't know if you've ever been to these, this motivational speaker at the start of the conference where he had us do this exercise where you were supposed to pick a person and next to you, stranger, silently look in their eyes without talking or looking away for five minutes. And he Five us, minutes? Yes. That's a really long time. It was, and I was hungover and my eyes were watery. They were bloodshot. Oh, I I would have started crying. (laughs) Yeah, I was convinced they were starting to look yellow. And I just had to look in this woman's eyes. And I was just like, I desperately don't want anyone to look at me that closely. And then the next time, oh, so that happened the weekend before. I came home Wednesday night. I started watching Scandal. It was back in the day when that was big. It was about four years ago on my recordings. And my husband said, I think you watched this last night. And I was like, nope, definitely not. Didn't watch it. And he was like, I'm pretty sure. And it was not familiar to me at all. And then I finally got to the, like, I was convinced he was wrong. Right. And was a little bit like, oh, he doesn't know. And I got to the end and a part of it was familiar. And I was like, oh my God, I watched this last night and my mind did not record it. And so Mm. those were sort of the two things that were, you know, I quit the next day. I, I got in, I knew of this resource. People had been raving about her. I was in a group of people who were trying to go alcohol free and people you know, enough people told me she was great. I emailed her at 10 a.m. And that was my last day one. Wow. And how long ago was that? It was four years in February. So my goodness, a long time ago in my mind. Yeah. When you sent that email, were you thinking like, this is day one? Or were you like, maybe it'll take her a few days to get back to me? Yeah, well, I knew that I had tried to moderate on my own. It wasn't working and I wanted support. I did not know it was forever. And I think that's actually a big reason why it succeeded. Yeah. Her program was a hundred day challenge and it's actually very similar to what I do with my clients because I'm a big believer in that approach. Because when you think about forever or never again, it triggers all these crazy thoughts in your head about labels and what about this vacation and what about my daughter's wedding? Yeah, she was 20 months old at the time. (laughs) And I just didn't need to think about that. And actually on my first call with her, she said to me, nobody wants to quit drinking. You want to feel better and you have to trust me that if you stop drinking, you're going to feel better. And she said, drinking is this backpack of rocks that you're carrying around with you and you're going to put that down. And that to me was like, okay. Like a relief. Yes. 
What was the hardest or scariest part for you of quitting? The hardest part for me was that I actually didn't want to quit drinking. Mm, Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of women where drinking is a big part of their life. I mean, I honestly, I loved red wine. I loved how it made me feel and how it tasted and how it looked in my glass at restaurants. Like I said, it was a big part of my life. Even after kids, it was sort of in my mind, like how I reserved still being an adult and independent and fun. And, but I knew deep down that it wasn't good for me. And what I kind of knew in the back of my mind was for the three hours of drinking every night, I was making the other 21 hours of every single day harder. I mean, it was harder for me to work out. It was harder. I slept terribly. I woke up at three in the morning often with my mind racing and just stressed out beyond belief. I was groggy, you know, so it had really become my only coping strategy. And, you know, my life started getting really small. I didn't do other things to make myself feel better. My activities really focused on either work, my kids, or activities that involved drinking, like happy hours and dinners and, you know, watching movies. Like, it was just my constant companion. But the hardest part, I had a lot of fears about what my life would look like if I quit drinking if I would be able to go on trips to Europe or go on dates with my husband or go to dinner parties. And I was also really worried that I'd be labeled. If I quit, that people would think that I was an alcoholic because either you're pregnant or you have a problem, like there's no middle ground. Or that people, you know, the fact that I wasn't drinking, which is insane, would cause me problems at work or with my kids, friends, you know, the parents of kids or family. And when I look back, that's insane to me because when you stop smoking, nobody says, oh, really, what happened? What made you decide to quit smoking? Because of course, it's bad for your health. And you're proud of this person. And you're not like, have just one cigarette after you quit smoking (laughs) a pack a day, right? But with drinking, they're like, well, why don't you just drink a little? Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was, it's, you know, if you're a big drinker, moderating is so much harder than just stopping. Like once you stop, your mind opens up and, you know, you're just like, I don't want to go back. Yeah. I'm curious if you think that, um, because I would imagine there's people who are like indifferent. They were like, sure, you quit drinking. Cool, whatever. Like, great. Happy for you. Doesn't impact me. Like, I have no judgment. And then if there's other people in your circle who were threatened because it made them look at their own relationship with alcohol. Yeah. Or maybe not even necessarily in your circle, but I think that it can work both ways, that people can be extra judgy if they may feel a little more vulnerable or exposed because of the decision that you made and that you now see them differently. Absolutely. Because, you know, I was actually surprised at how many people didn't care. And that was interesting because I always, you know, in your own head, you're like, oh my gosh, of course they're going to care because I care. I also, 
noticed as I went to work parties, I always thought that it was, you know, helped me bond and establish relationships, staying out with people drinking. And I just realized for myself too, that once people have three drinks, like they don't remember a ton and, you know, everybody's like, I love you so much. And it's very (laughs) surface, you know, we're going to, we're going to take over the world together. I mean, I think I told friends that I was going to, you know, go in on a boat with them and buy a boat. My husband's like, stop it. You know, and the next day I'm like, that's crazy. But, you know, people I know who were very big drinkers and I certainly hung out with some of them did get defensive because they were like, well, if you drink too much, what about me? But I actually, working with a coach really helped me with that because it made me realize that however people react, it's about their own relationship with alcohol, not mine. It is a sensitive subject. And she just said to me, you get to choose your sources of sober support. Someone who doesn't think too much about alcohol is never going to get it. And that's okay. And some, you know, they're, they're not going to think it's that hard. They're not going to think it's that big a deal. And someone who really likes to drink is going to feel threatened about it. And, you know, even my great girlfriends who we always drank together, I would just be like, let's go for a walk and get brunch or, Mm -hmm. you know, just suggesting other act or let's get coffee. So I was able to still bond with them. And I found that the more honest I was and open about my struggles and my hopes and what was going on, my friendships got so much deeper than when we just talked about work and what your kids are doing and what's going on on your next vacation. Like people opened up to me and they don't just struggle with alcohol. Other people are struggling with food or they're struggling with anxiety or they're struggling with their marriage. And you never get to that if you don't open up a little yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Were there any parts of quitting that were easier than you expected in that first 100 days? Were there parts that, I guess, tell us kind of what were the, what were some of the highs and the lows? Yeah. I would say it was much easier than I expected, especially when I was working with someone who got it. And I know that, you know, people may be able to relate to this if they go work with a personal trainer or join a running group or surround themselves with people with similar goals. Mm -hmm. That was huge for me. And a lot of my fears were unfounded. I would say, I still say that like quitting drinking was the kindest thing I'd done for myself in years. So my coach worked on creating like a positive, empowering path forward where I reframed my drinking as a positive, powerful choice, not a sad consequence. Mm. You know, I don't use the word alcoholic when relating to myself Ever. I just don't consider myself that in my mind and anyone who does. And for anyone that that's helpful, I celebrate that. I am friends with tons of amazingly cool women who've quit drinking. That's an awesome part because women who used to drink are really hysterical. And you know, you know, they used to like to party. <laughs> they're su- often super social, yeah. but they're real and they're yeah. open. Yeah. But for me, in my mind, instead of labeling myself, I think, you know, drinking is something that I quit. I used to do it. I get it. 
it wasn't a part of my life. I sort of think about it as becoming a vegetarian, right? You go to a dinner party, some people don't eat meat because it doesn't align with their health or their values. And, you know, they bring their own tofu salad or, you know, <laughs> lentils. Yeah, like yeah. it's not something that you're like, I can't believe you don't eat meat. Just try a little bit of this. Yeah, yeah. And so it also became the foundation for everything I wanted to do in my life. I, you know, for the first time I'm, you know, prioritizing my self-care and setting healthy boundaries about what I do and don't want to do. I'm prioritizing my needs. And actually when I'm feeling something where I used to just be like, ugh, hard day, I need, you know, I need happy hour, I need a glass of wine. Or when you're angry, I'm like, hey, husband, can you pick up a bottle on your way home? Now I'm like, why am I angry? And what can I do about that? And what do I need? Do I need to rest? Do I need help? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I actually need to have difficult conversations, which is always something I was a little terrified of. Mm. And now I do things I'm uncomfortable with, or I sit with feelings. And when you wake up in the morning, you feel better. And I'm like, wow, how have I in 40 years never done that. That is insane. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. That's so powerful. And I think it's also really, really hopeful for yeah. women who have felt like they have managed emotions with alcohol. And I think that we are so encouraged to manage emotions. I think there's oh. just so much messaging around this for women and especially for moms. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about mommy wine culture. And I know you've written about mommy wine culture. Why does this make quitting drinking hard? And also, how can we navigate mommy wine culture in those early days of sobriety? Or if we're thinking like we might, like alcohol might be more of a hindrance than a helper. And what are your thoughts on all of that? Absolutely. Mommy wine culture has really blown up in the last 20 years. And I have to raise my hand and say that I had bought into it for the longest time. I was the mom who took my two-year-old on wine tasting weekends and brought his toys into tasting rooms. And, you know, with my friends, they all brought their kids too. I was the mom who, you know, had kept him busy and amused while we had mommy play dates with wine in the afternoon. So I am the last person to be judging anyone who's bought into the mommy wine culture and is right there now. But I do have to say that for me especially, but a lot of women I know, the messages surrounding us encouraging women to drink and to drink more for any reason does make it really hard to quit when you decide that drinking isn't working for you. You've decided, I'm going to take a break from drinking and I'm not going to drink wine. And then, you know, you post that you're having a bad day on Facebook or Instagram and six people chime in saying it's sippy time. Mm -hmm. Your friends go on, you know, a date and they take pictures of the drink in the bar in front of them. And you know, you've probably seen the t-shirts, even in my 5.30 morning workout class, people are wearing t-shirts that say rosé all day. Or you go somewhere in their socks that are say, you know, if you can read this, bring mommy wine. Mm -hmm. And there are even wines that are called Mad Housewife and Mommy's Time Out. So it, we're being bombarded by messages 
for reasons to drink and told that drinking equals self-care and being empowered and coping with our children and our lives as a modern woman. And it's had an impact. Sadly, alcohol consumption has been increasing the anxiety and the depression and feelings of loneliness and overwhelm for a lot of women. And, you know, you can see it around you, but no one talks about it. I mean, women are drinking at office happy hours and they're drinking when they walk in the door after a long day of, at the office. But they're also drinking on the sidelines of sports games. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's they're drinking, of course, at the school auctions, but they're drinking before the choir concerts. And, you know, just last year. USA Today reported that during the 10-year period of 2007 to 2017, alcohol-related deaths among women rose 67%. Whoa. And binge drinking for white women ages 35 to 54 is more than doubled. So it's, you know, it's definitely growing. We are drinking more than our mothers or our grandmothers ever did. (laughs) And it's this cycle of you drink and someone else drinks and we see something on TV and movies and then we repeat it to our friends. So it's really your friends also who are contributing to this group think around it. But the good news, if you decide to take a longer break from drinking or you decide to stop drinking, there is a huge community of really cool women who are out there and have decided that drinking daily or binge drinking is not working for them and creating really amazing lives without alcohol and that you have options that are not limited to 12-step programs or AA Mm. if you don't want to do that. And in my personal opinion, it is a pretty badass move to decide not to drink and to take control of your life in a world that's obsessed with drinking. Absolutely. And I think we need to also mention that the alcohol industry is a multi-billion dollar industry run primarily by white men. Yes. (laughs) And, and when, and when I think about funding that, I'm like, I'm that really shifts things for me. I've changed a lot of how I talk about alcohol on social media, a lot of what I share that involves alcohol, um, even how I've used how I use alcohol in my own personal life in the last few years, just realizing how much of this the culture for women, how much a disservice it is when we share alcohol on social media as a crutch as a means of mending a day or a relationship or managing emotions or anything like that. So I've shifted a lot. But when I also I was having a conversation with someone a couple of years ago about the booze industry and who's making money off of women over drinking. And I was like, Oh, gosh, like, Oh, yeah. And if they, I don't want men making decisions about my body in Congress, yeah. I also don't want men sending me subliminal subliminal messages about alcohol. Yeah. And if you go back and there are studies to prove it, that the reason they started targeting women was to increase their market share. And they want you to drink more often daily. And they also want you to drink more. And that's why, you know, that's why mommy timeout wine was created, right? I mean, there is no more clear signal of who they're going after with that market than that 
you know, the label of that wine. Yeah, yeah. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. So you mentioned AA and 12-step programs. And so can you talk, what I've loved about, as I learn more and more about women talking openly about alcohol use and about over drinking and about alcoholism and all these kind of this whole spectrum, what I've loved is I've seen more and more women really building programs and creating culture around non-drinking and creating services to support other women who are making choices to be non-drinkers, which I think is so, so awesome. So can you talk a little bit about the, did you have a decision or an intentionality around like, I'm not going to go to AA or do a 12 step program and instead trying to do, instead investing in this 100 day program and how did you make that decision? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually did try AA for four months. And, you know, as I'm a coach of women who've decided to quit drinking, I think that's really helpful in my background. I went to all meetings. I went to women's meetings and some of my clients go to AA and also work with a coach. And a lot of my clients have chosen to work with me because AA for them is either a non-starter, which I think is a block for a lot of women. Um, I know when I walked in there as, you know, a successful working woman, I was like, well, this is one for the bucket list that I never thought I'd do, uh, you know, but again, I think the program works for a lot of people and saves a lot of lives. So for me, when you were speaking about men in Congress, you know, AA was a very it's an old program. It was created many decades ago. It was created by men. In my mind, it's very paternalistic. And it's also 
At least that's my experience. And I celebrate others. And it also, I think, so it's geared to break down your ego. You admit you're powerless. You drop the rope. You often claim you have a disease. There's some separation between you and the rest of the world. Like for some individuals, you know, they aren't able to do this, but everyone else can. And that philosophy didn't jive. And I don't think it jives with a lot of women because in my experience, women don't have a problem with their egos being broken yeah, down. That's a, good a lot point. of women <laughs> were like, please they, like take it from me. <laughs> well, what they need to do in order in, to quit drinking is set better boundaries and be more empowered and not do everything for everyone else and have nothing left for themselves. And I also was a working mom and going to 60 to 90 minute meetings didn't work for me. I mean, I actually quit drinking, you know, again, talking the meetings to my are coach, an hour long or an hour, an hour, hour. Or an hour and a half. Wow. And I did not know some, that. I thought they yeah, were like some, 30 minutes. No. And some have childcare, which is great. But you know, once my kids were eight or 10, I, that, so basically it didn't jive with me. And I created my own program. And the great news is that over the last five or six years, there has been an explosion of women-led programs and coaching to help women quit drinking in a way that can be very private. It can be, you know, I mean, we're in 2019, soon to be 2020, like we're in a time where online courses, audio coaching programs, podcasts, on the go. Um, women are writing books and it's an empowering, positive, proud choice. It's not a sad consequence. It fits into your schedule. It is, you know, in terms of like positive thinking, rewiring your brain, removing some of those negative associations with quitting drinking and building yourself up, which the women I work with are overachievers and people pleasers. And they do every, you know, they have packed schedules, they have overflowing to do lists, they're always running from one place to another. And what they need is to stop and say, how can I take care of myself? You know, instead of doing that, women who drink too much plan their next vacation, plan their next happy hour, think maybe I need to run a 10k, which will help you. That's awesome. But you also need to do some of the work to, to just put down the wine bottle and get some space away from drinking. And I found that the first 16 days are absolutely the hardest. You know, I was like, what do I do on Friday night? What do I do in the evenings? Like, do people really sit here? Yeah. And there's first, the days are really long because you're not drinking. And that's when you absolutely need support to listen to sober audios, you know, to listen to podcasts from really cool women who quit drinking. There are a ton of online secret Facebook groups that are, you know, you don't know they're out there. And that's something that I put together in terms of one holistic resource for, you know, um, I actually created this guide that's called The Sober Girl's Guide to Quitting Drinking, it's completely free. It's 30 pages long, so it's really comprehensive PDF. And it gives you 30 tips for your first 30 days. And it's designed for busy, successful, working women um, and moms to really like, how do you 
think about not drinking. How will you feel on day four? Because it's pretty common to feel the same way. What do you say to people? And what don't you say to people? And like, what the heck do you drink? And, (laughs) you know, it's not just water and coffee, you know, and how do you think about telling your partner? And how do you normalize it for yourself in your own mind? And a really comprehensive list of positive sources of resources and support because I did stumble around in the dark for a really long time and women who are thinking about this I just my heart goes out to them if they're trying to do this and think they're the only one right or trying to white knuckle it through all by yourself it would just be a completely different experience yeah and you know there are thousands of women out there who've decided to do this. And it's really cool. I mean, I've gone on yoga retreats in Salt Spring Island, BC, and slept in a yurt with my best friend with a bunch of women who don't drink, like 30 of them. There are retreats in Mexico where you do yoga twice a day and everybody has decided to quit drinking. And I mean, this stuff is cool and stuff that I never did when I was drinking, you know, my only treat was, was drinking. And, you know, when you surround yourself with that, it's hard to reframe your thinking without like, I'm missing out what's wrong with me? Why am I the only one? What are some of the hurdles you see standing in the way of women successfully quitting drinking once they've decided alcohol isn't working? I think there, I think there's a lot of women like you who have, who start to see patterns where they're like, maybe this isn't really working for me the way I thought it was or the way it once did, or maybe it's becoming more problematic or taking up a lot of mental space. Maybe it's really blatantly like dangerous. And what are some of the hurdles that are standing in the way of women having that, you know, for you, it was that 100 days that led to a more final solution? Yeah, I think one of the biggest hurdles is that women are actually asking themselves the wrong question. Most women who realize they're drinking more than they want to, or try to moderate and have trouble with it, ask themselves, am I bad enough to quit? Or they ask their family and friends, do you think I really have a problem? And the better question to ask is, is this good enough to keep going? And tell me more about that question. I like it. Well, it's the idea of when you sit back and reflect what drinking is bringing to your life and how it's setting up where you go. Is this is the payoff good enough for what you're getting when you have those glasses of wine? Meaning I would. So I was working and I was a mom and I was drinking and I was a wife and all the other million things that we do. And what I was doing was I slept terribly. I woke up at 3 a.m. with anxiety almost every night. I had no idea that was related to drinking. I woke up with a headache and a hangover a lot of days, you know, putting on my makeup. I hated putting on eyeliner because my eyes were bloodshot and glassy. I was defensive. My husband would ask me, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, so defensive about it. Like what, what's the issue? I was tired. And I'd always say that I'd go to yoga on Saturday morning and didn't feel well. My daughter was jumping on the couch and I'd be like, "Uh, can you take it down? Like mama doesn't feel so well. 
when you look at that whole universe of negative feelings, as well as the thinking about drinking and thinking about if there's enough wine in the house and thinking about whether you can order your third glass of wine before the waiter asks if you want the check Mm. and trying to quit drinking and white knuckling it for four days and then giving in, it didn't measure up. It wasn't, am I bad enough to quit? Because I could have kept going for a number of years, probably before anyone said anything to me. But, and I I was working so hard to normalize it. And I felt really bad a lot of days. And I felt anxious. And I felt like life was really hard. And what I realized once I got some space from drinking, how much more peaceful my life was, how much more quiet my mind was, how much more confident I was. I walked in, I remember vividly walking into work about two months after I quit drinking and felt actual joy at 8.30 in the morning, walking into my office. I was looking at, we live in Washington, Mount Rainier was out, the birds was flying, the sun was shining. And I was like, oh my God, I feel content with my life. And, you know, on the outside, my life looked really good. It did. We took great vacations. My kids are beautiful. My house is lovely. I had enough money. I had a fancy job at L'Oreal and digital marketing. But on the inside, it felt terrible. Mm, Yeah. So I know your coaching is geared primarily towards supporting working moms. And we know that moms tend to be overachievers and people pleasers doing all the things all the time and then coming home to numb out. So what about this tendency among women trying to do it all? um, And what is it about that that makes drinking attractive and sometimes problematic? Do you see that association often in the women that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I see, so my work is life, mindset, sobriety, and success coaching for busy women. And I really think the sobriety for them and the mindset is the biggest missing piece. The women I work with have full lives. They're successful. They're connected. They're admired. They work hard, really hard every day to take care of people. And they're managing work deadlines and finances and business trips and trying to get to daycare pickups before 6 p.m. or 6.30. So they have trouble saying no. Like Mm -hmm. they take on too much because they're smart, they're capable, they're productive. They probably can do things better than other people, or at least in their minds they can. But they use wine at the end of the day as an off switch for their busy mind. They want to shut it down fast because they like to get everything done quickly. And, you know, part of what contributes to over drinking is really they have set their lives up in a way that they need to drink to tolerate it. I think that's so true. And I think back to your point, is this good enough to keep going? Um, When you look at like, this window in the evening from like 6 to 10 p.m. It's really good because yeah. that's when you have the bottle yeah. next to you. Yeah. And then you have these other 20 hours where you're like, not so good, but you somehow prioritize these four hours that are in your mind. Like it's worth it to have 20 not so awesome hours in order to have four hours where you can 
benumbing yourself, which is such an interesting way to look at it. Um, and I think that that's how so many women are doing. I mean, not to say there's also, you know, there's definitely people who are drinking more than that and around the clock and there's varying degrees of all that. But I think that to your point around it being this off switch and especially around women who function really highly while consuming, um, you know, a pretty extraordinary amount of alcohol on a regular basis. Um, I think that this is something that's probably more common than we all think that we live for these handful of hours Well, and let's be clear that alcohol is addictive in the same way that smoking is. The more exposure you have to this substance, it does take over a bigger part of your life and it's designed to do that. And it is a really hard habit to break because of that, which is why support and resources are so important because willpower will only take you so far. It really will. And it's a hard experience. And my husband kind of was like, even him was like, well, you're really not going to drink when we go to Italy. Cause I went to Italy at four months after wow. I quit drinking, which was really hard. Yeah. And at that point I had to tell him, I was like, babe, our family wanted no part of where my train was going. You know, I jumped off. I got off on a, not an early stop. I did not get off on an early stop, but I got off early enough that they, you know, that's what was right for me. And I'm so grateful because, you know, in my mind, my, I quit when my son was eight, my daughter was two. When I imagine what 10 years of my son's life would have been like when, you know, till he was 18, if I was drinking a bottle of wine a night or more, you know, when he was 16, it's possible he wouldn't have wanted to bring his friends over to our house. Yeah, I hate to say that, but it's possible. And I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it with lots of women. And so me stopping when he was eight, like my daughter kind of doesn't remember me drinking, but I love that he does not think it is normal always to have a bottle of wine every single night at dinner. Yeah. He does not... Thing. And he's actually so proud of me, which is amazing. Mm, he and my husband, so when I hit a thousand days, I came down to the kitchen table and they had gone to like Target and gotten me this vase and counted out, I kid you not, 1,000 little ga- glass beads. <gasps> and I have it in my oh. office. He's, he always is like, well, you don't drink, mom, because it's not healthy. And I'd, he's probably going to drink. Of course he is. But I love that he's got that in the back of my, his mind, that it's not required. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great way to end this. I love that story. This has been so amazing, Casey. I so appreciate you sharing this. I know this is hitting home for some mamas listening today. So I just want to invite all of anyone who's feeling some things, I want to invite you to sit with it think about it for a minute, definitely want to invite you to reach out to Casey. So Casey, where can people connect with you if they want to share with you, open up, if they think that um, they need some support? I know you mentioned your Sober Girls Guide to Quitting Drinking, and can you tell people how they can access that and then reach out to you as well? Yeah, they can access the Sober Girls Guide totally free at sobrietystarterkit.com. And you'll get the guide, but you'll also get emails, not too often, but with really helpful suggestions to get you through the beginning of sobriety. I have free sober coaching audios on my website. So my full website is hellosomedaycoaching.com. 
com, and you can learn about my private coaching, but there's also a wealth of free resources on there. I talk about the mommy wine culture. I talk about, you know, if you're ready to quit drinking, start here. There's an interview about my experience quitting drinking. I have an audio of the emails that I sent my coach every single day for my first 30 days. So that's really amazing. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com. Hello someday. But email, there's a contact uh, sheet on my website because I know a lot of women, this is private and they're not sure they want to quit drinking. And they've never often opened up to anyone uh, that they're worried about it. And I have to say, there is zero judgment. There is, this does not have to label you for the rest of your life. This doesn't have to define your life. It just can be something that you are trying out to see how it works. And I often think about it like training for a marathon, right? You get support, you do it for a while, you read some resources on it, you wrap your head around, you know, how you're going to do the miles and what the training schedule is. And at the end of the day, you're incredibly proud of yourself. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, Casey. This has been so awesome. I wish I could keep you here for another hour. I have so many more things I would love to dive into. So I want you to keep in touch so we can continue to connect on this issue. I think it's a really, really important one for for women and especially for moms. Um, I think there's a lot of deconditioning around alcohol that needs to be done. And I so appreciate that you are being really proactive and supportive in your own journey, but also supporting so many other women doing the same. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning. 
where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.